Take your Bible, if you would, this morning and turn to a very familiar passage to us, uh, one that hopefully we'll look at and be reminded of some things that we've already known, perhaps learn some new truths along the way, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Lord willing, I will turn 51 years old next month. That seems, yeah, thank you for that shout out. I appreciate that. I, I haven't made it just yet, but uh, I'm, I'm on the way. Uh, I think I became a member of this church when I was 26 or 27, something of that nature. And so it seems impossible to me that, um, that I could be 51 years of age. And one of the things I've noticed is that 51 doesn't seem nearly as old as it once did. Uh, in the first service, I asked for a show of hands of how many people were younger than me. And I'm not going to do that uh, again because it was very d depressing and uh, I wasn't, I don't know what I was thinking to even ask that. Apparently it was my age. Uh, I've noticed that there are some things that are considerably harder to do today than they were a few years ago. The, the spirit is willing, uh, but the flesh is weak, so to speak. And so I find myself going to the doctor more than ever before. And one of the things I have learned is that when I was young, I just went to the doctor. There was just one doctor. Uh, he was our family doctor. He lived across the street from my family where I, was, where I was raised. Everything I needed, he could, for the most part, take care of. But as I'm getting older, uh, th this seems to be changing. I, I heard the pastor of my wife's home church once say that as you begin to get older, you discover that there are a lot of different kinds of doctors that you never knew anything about. And I have discovered that that is true. My, my son Jacob and I, we have an allergist that we go to. He and his associates, uh, the first time that we went there, they, they scraped our backs and arms with about 150 different allergens. And then they waited for 15 or 20 minutes to see which of those allergens left the biggest welts on our bodies. And those are the things that we're most allergic to so that they could treat us with uh, allergy injections uh, tw twice a week. It was a pleasant experience. I highly recommend that everyone go through that at least once. There are allergists, people who specialize in nothing but um, treatment of allergies. Uh, there are cardiologists who specialize in heart issues. There are podiatrists who work on our feet, bless their hearts. I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but somebody's got to do it, so thank God for podiatrists. Uh, there are oncologists who work with various types of, uh, of cancer. If you have a problem with your kidneys, you go to a nephrologist. Orthopedic doctors, some of, us, some of us have seen them in recent days. They deal with the skeletal system. Rheumatologists specialize in treating joints and, and, and tissue problems. If you have an issue with your glands, you go to an endocrinologist. Some of these words I can barely pronounce. If you have problems with your skin, you go to a dermatologist. If you have problems uh, with, with your eyes, you go to an ophthalmologist. Audiologists care for the ears. Proctologists. I'm not even going to tell you what proctologists do. I will say this. I don't know how much they get paid, but I'm quite certain it's not enough. They just do not get paid enough to do those kinds of things. Neurologists study the brain and the nervous system. Well, when I think about all that, it just reminds me of how miraculous and complex the human body actually is. How that we need all these doctors to keep in check the one thing that God has created and woven together into one unit. God has designed it to work together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul makes a comparison between the church and the human body. 
And he does so to help us better understand the meaning and the purpose of the church and, and what it means to be a member of the church and how we're to work together uh, as a cohesive unit, even though we're many parts, we're part of the same body. And so this morning we began our summer series entitled, I'm a Church Member. And I want us to look, first of all, this morning at what it means to be a functioning church member. What it means to be a functioning church member, because as, and by the way, if you've not yet purchased the book, uh, I am a church member, you can, you can buy that book this morning after the service in either lobby, it's $5, it's by Dr. Tom Rayner, and, and each week you can read a chapter of that book and it will kind of coincide with the sermon of the day. Now, if you don't buy the book, you can still hear the sermon and understand it just fine, hopefully. But, uh, but the book will just assist you in thinking through this process of church membership. Because many in our culture today treat church membership as if it were some kind of, uh, of country club mentality. And that is, you go to a country club and you go there and you pay your dues and you have all these perks and privileges. Now, granted, there are perks and privileges about being a member of a church. We have a body of believers to have fellowship with when we come here on a Sunday or a Wednesday or any other time that we come together. We have the privilege of having fellowship with friends, of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a privilege. But my point is simply this, that church membership is so much more than that. Church membership is so much more than the perks and the privileges. And so we want to look over the next uh, few weeks during this summertime of what it means to be a functioning church member. And I want us to read uh, this morning, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and reading through verse 27. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. In other words, just because you say it's not so doesn't mean that it's not so. Um, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now I want us to see five truths this morning as it relates to church membership. And before we dive into the passage itself, I want to, to give a very... Um, uh, a very simple point, and yet it's a point that needs to be made in our culture today as we talk about church membership, and that's simply this. Church membership is biblical. Church membership is biblical. It is what God has ordained for his children. 
Some people today, many people today, in fact, have given up on the church. Perhaps they've had uh, a bad experience in the church. Perhaps they were a, a part of a church that disappointed them. Maybe they had unrealistic expectations or the, the benefits of being a part of a church just don't seem that helpful to them. And so they begin to wonder why they should even be a member of a church at all. And so they think for themselves, for, for example, I can just go to the mountains to worship. I can go to the lake to worship. I don't really see a need to gather together corporately uh, with other Christians in order to worship. Some would say, what's important about church membership? I can just go and, and, and worship, and I can worship with 9th and O this Sunday, and I can go to worship with Highview next Sunday and the following week. I could go over to West Broadway and have worship, because you know worship really is all about me, is it not? That's the mentality with many today. And so some would ask a question in their minds being a legitimate question, and that's what it's, what's important about church membership. Well, for starters, Jesus instituted the church. The church is not some man-made organization or institution. It's different from civic organizations, as good as they may be. Not only did Jesus institute the church, but Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ died for the church and gave himself up for her. So the real question this morning is really uh, that if the church was that important to Jesus, why would it be unimportant for someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus? Now some would simply say, well, the church is important. I'm a part of the universal church. I'm just not a part of a local church. Now, what do they mean by that? When they say, I'm a part of the universal church, do they mean that they're universalists? Do they mean that they believe uh, a brand of theology that teaches that eventually every person will go to heaven and no one will be separated from God? No, that's not, that's, it's not the same as universalism. Uh, the, those who would argue that they're part of the universal church just simply mean that they're a group, they're a part of the group of men and women and children all across the world who make up the body of Christ. There is such a thing as a universal church. It is comprised of, of men, women, boys, and girls who are genuinely born again by the Spirit of God. They've placed their faith in Christ, and they live all around the world, and it's regardless of location or time. In other words, it doesn't matter when they lived, if they lived 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. They're part of the universal church. And so some today will simply say, I'm a part of the universal body of believers that make up the body of Christ, and therefore, I do not need to be a member of a local church. So they're referring to all Christians at all times and in all places who make up the body of Christ. This morning, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Asia and in Africa and in Europe. They're part of the universal church. But with a few exceptions, with a few exceptions, almost every time the word church is used in the New Testament, it is not used in relation to the universal church. It is used in relation to the local church. It is the local church where God carries out his plan for the world. It, when you read the New Testament, you read the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth. This, that's who Corinthians was, was written to by the Apostle Paul. The church in Rome. Almost every time the word church is used, it is used in reference to a local body of believers. So why is church membership in a local church important? Well, number one, it just simply defines who can be counted on. Every team has a roster. Can you imagine being a part of a baseball team or a football team and not knowing who was going to show up on any given week and not knowing who was going to play which position on any given week? If you do that, you won't win many games. Uh, so, so every team needs a roster, but most importantly, 
Church membership is important because it is biblical. The church is what God has ordained in order to accomplish his work in the world. There are Christians in Africa today that, uh, that I'm brothers and sisters with. Uh, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I cannot worship with them today. I cannot carry out the purpose of worship, which is one of the purposes that God has given to the church. Uh, there, there are brothers and sisters in Europe today. I have no doubt about that. I'll see them in heaven one day. But I cannot have fellowship with them today. And fellowship is one of the purposes for which Christ created the church. God established the local church. Now, if you're looking for the word or the phrase church member, per se, you won't find it in the New Testament. But the concept of church membership is just very prevalent. In fact, it's just a given. It's understood. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after, after Simon Peter's sermon, the Bible says that those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Have you ever wondered how they knew that? How did they know that 3,000 were added on that day? And there are other places throughout the book of Acts where it says similar things, that so many people were added on such and such a day. How do they know that? I think it's obvious that the church had some systematic way of tracking those who were being saved and becoming part of the church. And in fact, it goes on to say that all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. So they were part of a local body of believers. They gathered together. They shared their materials as each one had need. They gathered regularly for worship and evangelism and preaching of the word and for fellowship and ministry. Membership is biblical. Secondly, this morning, membership is for those who are part of the body of Christ. Membership is for those who are part of the body of Christ. In verses 12 and 13, Paul compares the human body, which is one, although it has many members, many parts, he compared it to the body of Christ, which is one, although it has many members. Look in verse 12 again. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, we might have thought that he would have said church rather than Christ, because he's talking about the church. But we might have thought he would have said, finished that sentence by saying, though they are many, they're one body, so also is the church. But we need to understand this morning that Christ stands for the community united to him. Christ is representative of the unity of the community that's united to him of which he is the head. So you cannot separate Christ from the church. He is the head of the body. Paul is saying that the church is one like the human body is one. In fact, he uses that word one five times in these two verses. And notice what he tells us about being brought into the body of Christ. He tells us first of all that we're all baptized into one body by one spirit. In, in other words, when we turn from our sin and when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his saving work, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. And then he says also, we're all made to drink of one spirit. We're all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. He said it doesn't matter whether you're Jews or Greeks. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or free. Racial barriers are torn down because of the gospel. It doesn't matter how much money you have or do not have. Where you fall on the social ladder is irrelevant when it comes to the gospel. You are one. And that's the number one requirement for being a part of a local church is that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That's why when a person comes forward for membership in this body, we ask them to share with someone about how they came to faith in Christ. We're not interested in the day or the hour. I've heard people say, if you can't remember the day or the hour, then you're not saved. I don't remember the day and the hour I was born. But the proof that I was born is that I'm standing here in front of you today. And so I'm not, we're not interested in the day or the hour. We're interested in, in doing our best to, to know that you understand the gospel and that you're not counting on membership at the Ninth and Old Baptist Church to get you to heaven. There are many people today who are counting on the fact that they're on a church roll to get them to heaven. Listen, church membership does not make someone a Christian. But while church membership and attendance doesn't make someone a Christian, it's also true that a Christian should love the things that Jesus loved. We're called the body of Christ, and he is the head. It is hard to comprehend. It is really difficult to fathom how you can love the head and not love the body attached to the head. Every Christian should be a part of a local church, but it is for those who are Christians. It is, it is not for those who are hoping to get to heaven by signing the dotted line. It is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and who have a heart to serve God. Every Christian should be a part of a local church. Listen, it would have been incomprehensible inconceivable for a it, it would have been a foreign concept in new testament times for a christian not to be a part of a local church there was no such thing as floaters there was no such thing as going from one church to the other just to get the best of what all the churches had to offer that that would have been a foreign concept in, in New Testament times no when people were saved they followed the lord in baptism and became a part of the church not because the church was perfect, but in spite of its imperfections. Not because of what they could uh, get, because, but because they had a task to accomplish. You know, it's, it's, it's odd. If I were to walk down the street today and find an eyeball, I would not call the police and say, I found a body. No, of course not. I would say, I found an eyeball. In other words, when the part is removed, it's no longer part of the body because the body is designed to be one. And so, and so a Christian should not be separated from the rest of the body. I was driving down Bardstown Road Friday morning on the way to the office, and I saw a tennis shoe laying on the side of the road. You see a lot of things laying on the side of Bardstown Road if you're paying attention. And on this particular morning, it was a tennis shoe. And I cannot explain to you why I have some of the thoughts that I have that run through my mind at any given time. I, I can only assume that this particular thought was because I'd been working on this message. But for whatever reason, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that shoe was, I wonder if there's a foot in that shoe. And then I thought, what is wrong with you? What kind of a crazy thought is that? Why are you wondering if there's a, a foot in that shoe? I've been, I've been either thinking about this message too much or watching too much crime drama on television. But that was my first thought. I wonder if there's a foot in the shoe. That's crazy. But I'll tell you this morning that it's equally crazy to imagine a foot or a hand trying to function without being attached to anything. Body parts don't just develop and grow on their own apart from a body. Paul is saying that each of us are individual members of the same body and that it's ridiculous to think that you're going to live the life that Christ wants you to live in a way that he is pleasing to him if you're cut off from the rest of the body. 
A hand that is cut off from the uh, body will not grasp objects. A foot removed from the body will not walk. An eye plucked from the body is incapable of sight. And a Christian who, doesn't, who thinks he doesn't need the rest of the body is in even greater danger. That, that's why, by the way, your attendance is important if you're a member of the church. I don't have statistics to back it up, but I've been a pastor for 19 years, so I think I can confirm this anecdotally, that a large percentage of people who eventually drop out of church don't just stop going to church one day and never return. A few people do because someone offended them, someone wounded them. But for the most part, it's usually a much more gradual process than that. Life gets busy. Work is hard. Other things begin to take precedence. And before you know it, you're missing church half the time. You realize that the Southern Baptist Convention has 16 million members, and today about 6 million of those will actually choose to go to a local church. 16 million members in the Southern Baptist Convention, and 6 million of them will attend church on any given Sunday. That, that statistic grieves me. As a pastor, it grieves my heart. It grieves me because while some have legitimate reasons, many are simply disobeying God by forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the right of Hebrew warns us. And he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but gather even more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ's return. And I don't know when that is. I do, however, know this. It's much closer than it was when the writer of Hebrews penned those words. And, and, and so many just simply choose to disobey God. And while they're disobeying God, they're doing spiritual damage to themselves and to the remainder of the body by cutting themselves off from the body. You say, well, I'm just a finger. I'm just a hand. Can a body survive without a finger or a hand? Yes, it can survive. But it's more healthy if it has a finger or a hand. Membership is for those who are part of the body of Christ, and we, we need to be careful not to separate from that body. Thirdly, membership is for those who are different and yet unified. Membership is for those who are different and yet unified. Notice I said unified and not uniformity. We do not want to be a church that is uniform. In other words, uh, we don't want to be all alike. If, the, if all of us are the same, the church will not accomplish what we're called to accomplish. And so Paul begins in verse 14 with a general principle. Uh, and, and in verses 15 and following, he moves to, to specific illustrations or examples. Look in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Here, that's, his, that's his general principle. The body is not one member, but many. And then he moves to the specific illustration that the foot says, I'm... Because I'm not of the hand, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. In other words, Paul wants it to, uh, to make it very clear that diversity within the church is necessary in order to have a functioning, healthy body. You don't want all parts to be the same. You can't have one giant ear walking around. Ears don't walk. Right? You can't have one giant foot listening because feet can't hear. 
So many Christians today have difficulty understanding their importance within the body of Christ because they don't see their giftedness as being crucial to the overall well-being of the body. But you see, that is a very distorted view. The most important question that we can ask is not what we think about a particular issue, but rather what does God think about that issue. And the reality is that God has placed you in this body if you're a member of our church. And he's done so for a reason. In fact, verse, look at verse 18 if you question how you got here. The Bible says, verse 18, Now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. In other words, God's given you a specific gift with which to serve him. And it is God who determines your place within the body. Now, if that's not clear enough, you can go down to verse 24 where the Bible says God has, a, has so composed the body. A reminder that God is the one that put it all together. If you're really hard-headed, go down to verse 28. We haven't even read that this morning. And it says that God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and so forth and so on. In other words, God gives each Christian at least one spiritual gift for us to use in our service for him. You say, I don't have a spiritual gift. No. If that were true, that would mean that you're not a Christian. If you do not have a spiritual gift, it is because you are not a Christian. Now, it may very well be true that you don't know what your spiritual gift is. That's an entirely different matter. And that's just an, an issue of, of, of serving where you enjoy serving and, and trial, trial and error and looking for places to serve that you might like. And that's why we don't make people sign with blood around here if they agree to do something. Uh, we, you know, if you agree to teach a class, we understand that you might down the road have to back out of that. Or if you agree to be a greeter, you might have to back out of that. It might not be your thing. Now, I don't think you have to be spiritually gifted in order to do every task in the church. Being spiritually gifted simply means usually that, that it comes easier for you. You know, I, I don't have to have the spiritual gift of hospitality in order to be a greeter in our church and greet people. But if you have that gift, it might, be, it might be helpful. God has gifted each of us with at least one spiritual gift for us to use in our service for him. You might say, well, I don't like my place. I, I, don't, like, uh, I don't like being a foot. I'd rather be a hand. And, and to be honest, we probably have all done that at times, haven't we? Man, I wish I could preach like so-and-so. I think about our pastor. He is... Um, he is a man who is gifted in the New Testament. He has outlined the entire New Testament. There's not a passage that you can turn to in the New Testament that Dr. Cook has not outlined. He, he is a brilliant man when it comes to that. And I look at him and I'm like, I wish I, I, wish I had outlined the New, the New Testament like he has. Well, we need to understand that it's one thing to admire someone for how God has gifted them within the body, but it's a very different thing when I allow my admiration for someone else to undermine and downplay my importance within the body. Please understand, you do not have to have the spiritual gift of teaching or preaching in order to please God and to minister within this body of Christ. You just simply don't. Whatever God has gifted you to do, show up on time and do it to the very best of your ability for the glory of God. If you're a Bible fellowship group teacher, if you're a nursery worker, treat that job, that position, that calling with the same degree of commitment that you would show if you were preaching the sermon on a Sunday morning. 
Don't underestimate the importance of your service based on the nature of that service. You may feel like your gift is not as great as someone else's. I'm not a foot. I'm just an eye. I'm not part of the body. Paul says that's wrong. Paul says you're a vital part of the body. Don't underestimate the importance of your service based on the nature of that service. Also, I would encourage you, by the way, not to downplay your importance based on the size of the body. In other words, it doesn't matter the size of the church. They need workers. They need helpers. Sometimes people assume that they're needed less in a church our size than they would be in a smaller church, for example. But think of that in relationship to the human body and how that doesn't make, how, how that doesn't make sense. The larger a body grows, the larger the individual parts need to be. Many of you as parents can relate when I tell you that it seems like yesterday that my wife and I were bringing our children home from the hospital. Emily's now 14, Jacob is 12. We brought them home from the hospital. We placed them in a crib. Hospital gave us birth certificates and had pictures of their little foot imprints. You look at that and it's like, man, what an awesome work of God to create something so small and yet so intricately woven together. Now I walk down. Sometimes I would just go into their bedrooms and watch them, just stare at them while they were. I don't, maybe I'm just the only weird parent. But I would go and I would just stand in the doorway and just watch them sleep. I, you know, amazingly enough, don't tell them, but I still do that sometimes. Sometimes I'll just go and stand in the doorway and I'll look at my son and I'll think about those tiny feet that he had when he was little and they're not in cribs anymore. And, and, and I look at his feet and I think, what happened here? First of all, they stink. That didn't happen when they were a baby. But they're huge. I mean, I'm thinking before long, his feet will be the size of my feet. Can you imagine what would happen if the rest of his body grew, but his feet stayed the same size that they were when he was born? He wouldn't be able to walk. He wouldn't be able to function. No, his feet need to grow as well. In other words, the larger a church grows, the more people it needs who can teach because we don't have one or two Bible fellowship groups. We have dozens of Bible fellowship groups. We don't need just one or two nursery workers. We have 150 preschoolers. We, we don't need a handful of Awana workers. We need dozens of Awana workers because we have 185 to 190 children in Awana. The larger a church grows, the more people it needs with the gift of service. The larger a church grows, the more people it needs with the gift of encouragement because one, gift, uh, one person with the gift of encouragement can't encourage a thousand people very well. And so you need multiple people uh, to have that gift. And it's the same with any other gift or ability. So regardless of the size of the church, whether we're a church of a hundred or whether we're a church of a thousand, we need you. You are an integral part of this body and we need you to help carry out what God has called us to do. Number four, membership is for those who are interdependent. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say independent. I said interdependent. In verses 21 through 24, Paul reminds us of this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Before, it was an issue of envy. I envy your gifts. I don't have your gifts, and therefore I'm not a part of this body. Now it is an issue of superiority. I'm better than you. I have gifts that you don't have, therefore I don't need you. Now, church members, each possessing thy diverse gifts, are like the parts of the body in that we're mutually dependent on one another. 
And some in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, in the church, were equating spirituality with the exercising of the more spectacular gifts. Some were saying, well, we have such and such gifts, we're more spiritual than you because you don't have those gifts. And that's why Paul writes chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, is to refute that that false teaching. He wanted us to realize that the body is interconnected and each part is dependent on the other body parts to function properly. All the parts are necessary. Now, it's true that some parts are more visible than others, isn't it? Some parts seem more impressive than others. Verse 22 says that it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. In other words, some body parts aren't even as pretty as other ones. Elbows. You ever look at an elbow? Mine's kind of rough and scaly and it's just not very pretty. I've never seen a pretty elbow. All of my years of premarital counseling, I've never asked a young man, what drew you to this lady, only to hear him say, I took one look at her elbows and fell madly in love. It's just, it just doesn't happen. No, there's nothing pretty about elbows, but I can tell you, and it's obviously from the voice of experience, that my stomach loves my elbows. Because without my elbows, I couldn't eat. I would need a, an extremely long fork if I didn't have elbows to bend. No part can say to another, I don't need you. No one is more or less important than anyone else within the body of Christ. There are, there are no big eyes or little U's in the body of Christ because Paul is reiterating the fact that no one can do it all. No one possesses all of the spiritual gifts, and so we need all those who will work behind the scenes, those who will never be up on the platform. There are people in this church who will never sing a solo, and thank God, Because I've stood next to some of you, and you stood next to me. There's a reason why I preach and I don't sing. I I can carry a tune, and that's about about it. There are people who will never stand stand on this platform and preach from behind this pulpit. They're, They're just normal people doing what they can do to make this body the best that it can be and to help us to reach our community with the gospel. I'll tell you who they are, some of them. They're greeters. They're people who are opening doors for guests and greeting and, and, and members. We don't just close the doors on members. We, we greet our members as well. We want to get you, but we also want to keep you. And so they're greeters. They're opening doors for people, and they're greeting them with smiles, and they're helping them, helping them to find their way around if they're unfamiliar with the building. They're making a lasting impression long before the first song is sung or before the sermon is preached. And by the way, statistics consistently show that most people decide before the service actually begins whether or not they're going to return to the church. What are they basing it on? They're not basing it on the music and the sermon. They're basing it on you, the body. Are they greeted? Do they know? Are they told where to go? How to find their way around? People friendly to them? All those things make lasting impressions. So they're greeters. I'll tell you who else are. They're nursery workers who change diapers. Not because they like to change diapers. If you like to change diapers, you're weird. I'm just telling you. No one likes to change diapers. They don't do it because they enjoy changing diapers. They do it because they love children and they love Jesus. And when they get here early to greet the parents and children, it makes those parents feel more comfortable leaving that child in the nursery while they go out and hear the message. Because I can just tell you as a parent... If I don't feel like my children are are safe and being cared for, 
It doesn't matter how wonderful the service is. I won't hear any of it. I won't be able to concentrate. Who are they? I'll tell you who they are. They're they're retired men who come to this place during the week when very few people are around to actually see what they do. They're here mowing the grass. They're painting walls. They're repairing broken equipment. They're plowing snow so that during the winter months our parking lot is clear. They're men and women who run the sound system and the PowerPoint who never get looked at except when something goes wrong. Who are they? They're, they're men and women during the, uh, who, within the various Bible fellowship groups who are cooking and taking food to new moms or to those who are recovering from major illnesses. Those are the people who make this church great, in my opinion. That, that, that's why membership is for those who are interdependent. Listen, we have a westernized mindset in our, in our, in our country that says, do it all on your own. Be your own man. This John Wayne mentality. You know, it works great in westerns. But it's simply not biblical when it comes to the local church. Church membership is for those who are interdependent. Finally, this morning, I want you to see that membership is based on an attitude of love. Membership is based on an attitude of love. In verses 25 and 26, Paul answers the question as to why God makes up the church, the body of Christ, in this manner. Why does he do it like this? And he answers in these verses by telling us that it's so that there's no division in the body but so that the members may have the same care for one another. They have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's what it means practically speaking, is when your membership is based on a foundation or an attitude of love, you come to this place, you look for opportunities to show that love. And sometimes it's shown through suffering because someone is suffering. And sometimes it is shown through rejoicing because someone is being honored. Because that's how God has designed the body. I've had chronic back problems for years. And many of you know that it eventually led to to me having a back surgery this past October. And at times the pain was so severe that I couldn't walk for hardly any distance in fact, I could barely stand for four, more than a few minutes at a time. I, I eventually uh, got a stool to sit on when needed when I taught my, my BFG. I got to a point where I was very hesitant to preach because I could barely make it through the time of worship standing. And I wasn't at all sure I could make it through a sermon. Many of you feel that way this morning. You're not sure if you're going to make it through this or not. It, it was difficult to stand. You know, oddly enough, the last year leading up to my surgery... I had very little pain in my back. My back seldom hurt. On the other hand, the pain down my leg was excruciating. And so I learned from experience that when one part of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. Right? My back pain, it just didn't stay confined to my back. Man, it caused me to hurt all over. It was, it, was, it was painful. And the same is true within the body of Christ. 
But I also want to say that, that the opposite is also true. Just as the interconnectedness of the body can, use, uh, can cause the whole body to suffer, that same interconnectedness helps to bring about healing in the body. So that if I get a cut on my finger and I get an infection, what happens? White blood cells kick into place and they begin to fight that infection. And so again, the same is true within the body of Christ. The body rejoices with those who rejoice. It suffers with those who suffer. Why? Because we love one another. That's why Paul goes on to write the next chapter, often referred to as the love chapter. We read it at weddings, and that's appropriate, but Paul is writing it to the church at Corinth because there was a lack of love in the church, evidenced by division within the body. Because in Corinth, instead of serving one another, they wanted to be served. Instead of honoring others, they wanted to receive honor. They sued one another in court. They neglected the poor and the needy among them. Paul says that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Love is just the opposite. Love serves faithfully. Love gives generously. Love forgives freely. Love suffers with those who suffer and rejoices with those who rejoice. Love works with those who are different from ourselves in order to accomplish a common goal, and that is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, to know him and to make him known. The church is the body. Jesus is the head of the body. It could be this morning that you're here and you're not a Christian. You might think, what does this message have to do with me? Well, I'll tell you, if Jesus is the head, he is the means by which we come into the kingdom. He is the means by which we are born again, that we are saved. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I just simply want to say that it is a simple gospel. That Jesus died for sinners. That God so loved the world that he gave his son, that he came to this earth, he lived a sinless, perfect life. He died on an old rugged cross. And on the third day, God raised him to give victory over death and hell and the grave. And he offers that same victory to those who will place their faith in him, who will simply by faith turn from their sins and ask him to forgive their sins and be the Lord of their lives. We're going to have a time of invitation just a moment I'm going to ask you to stand I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer and then we're going to sing if you're here today and you don't know Christ there will be men at the at the front of the platform who would love to escort you to a private room and to show you from God's word how you can know that you have received forgiveness of sin it could be that today you're here and you're a Christian and you're looking for a church home you're looking for a body to be a part of and I will simply say to you I know of no better place than this place because I know of no better people than this people. And so if you're looking for a church home, we would invite you to come at this time as well. Perhaps you're a member today and you need to make a commitment. Perhaps your commitment to this church has waned. And you simply need to, perhaps even standing where you're going to be standing in just a moment, say to the Lord Jesus, God, help me to love this body the way you love this body. Because Christ died for his church and gave himself for her. Whatever your need is, we're going to invite you to come as we stand and as we pray. Dr. Bruton will come and lead us in worship. And whatever needs you have, you come during our time of invitation. Would you stand for prayer, please? Father, I have preached your word as faithfully as I know how. I pray that your spirit would take it and accomplish his perfect work.
For those who need to know Christ, I pray that today might be a time that they would come and give their lives to him, that we'd be born again, that they'd be changed. Father, I pray for those who may need to join this fellowship or make other decisions this morning, that you would have your way in their heart and lives today during this time of invitation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.